Psalm 37, verses 9 through 11. Hear now the living and abiding word of God. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. This is the very word of God. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we pray that you would open our eyes to this text tonight, draw it out for us that we may grow thereby and glorify you in our daily walk as your children as your redeemed ones, and as your soldiers in, the, in Christ's army. We desire to glorify you every day by standing for this truth. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so we have this text tonight, and, and Psalm 37, if you're familiar with it, a very hopeful song, psalm. It also alternates back and forth between explaining what happens to those who don't trust in God or the evildoer, they're called the evildoers, they're called the wicked, compared to the righteous, or those who trust in God. And it's comparing, it's kind of neat, because it's comparing back and forth uh, what, what's going to happen, what's the outcome, right, of, of evildoers, or the wicked, versus the righteous. And so we've got, we're going to just cover verses 9 through 11 here uh, tonight, but let's take a look and start with uh, verse 9 Because what I'd like to do is divide this up into two sections. We're going to take a look at what God's saying in verse 9 compared to the evildoer and then those who wait on the Lord. And then, what does it mean to inherit the earth? Kind of an an odd statement. We we kind of know what inheritances are, but inheriting the earth is kind of an odd concept. We're going to see what this means, what God has for us. Because uh, if we consider ourselves among the number... Uh, This would apply to us. So, let's take a look at verse 9 to start with. For evildoers shall be cut off, but those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Now, wait on the Lord, this this concept of wait on the Lord, you you hear this throughout the scripture, don't we? Uh, In fact, uh, Dr. R.C. Sproul said, if you had to summarize the overarching theme of the Psalms in one phrase, it would be wait on the Lord, uh, which is interesting. Uh, but it's because this one idea of waiting on the Lord is like a step of hope into the unknown that you have to do. It's a step of faith. Uh, it's a spiritual discipline. It's really a way of life when we abide in waiting on the Lord. And, uh, and so any kind of evidential faith that we see in someone, uh, which is very important to knowing God, uh, is apportioned by waiting on the Lord. More trust in God, less trust in ourselves. And uh, Psalm 27, you might remember, is a psalm that really embodies waiting on the Lord so well. And it, it closes, Psalm 20, 27 closes with this really bold declaration. It says, wait on the Lord Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So how are we to view view waiting? 
You know, is waiting on the Lord a passive exercise? And I think in our culture particularly, we get that impression, right? Because in our culture, waiting is, is like a negative. It's clearly a negative thing. Waiting is seen as idle. It's seen as inefficient. It's seen as unproductive, maybe even lazy. If you have to wait, I feel like I'm being forced. Some people say when I have to wait in line, I'm forced into laziness. Well, ultimately, I think we we kind of have this in our productive society, waiting we see as a waste of time. It's sort of like resignation compared to doing something worthwhile, right? Um, Waiting also usually means like something went wrong in our society because our society is just so, bam, you know, we got to have all the the trains on time, the ducks in a row, you got to have your calendar all set up. So, for example, if you have to wait in traffic, that's bad. Something went wrong, right? I mean, there's a traffic jam, there was an accident, so I'm in traffic, I'm waiting for the roads to clear. Um, or I had to wait in line at the store. Something went wrong. It was too busy at the store. They only have one cashier open, whatever it is, right? So that's why I'm late, because I had to wait. So waiting is such a negative thing in, in our culture. So uh, we have to turn our minds around a little bit of, uh, on this when we view the scripture because waiting on the Lord is seen in, this, is a very, in a very different light in the scripture, isn't it? Waiting on the Lord is actually not just a passive waste of time as we view waiting, but waiting on the Lord is active, meaning we have an active role in it and it's very productive. Yes, we are actually called to wait on the Lord And it's a good thing, believe it or not. Because waiting on the Lord is one of God's ways that he builds faith. It's one way he refines us. It kind of does that old man mortification that we want. And really, we're going to find it's essential to a Christian's growth in the Lord. But notice notice what our text says. Evildoers will be cut off. So that's evildoers. Now it compares... But those who wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. So we have, that, we have that comparison, that contrast between the evildoers and now here those who wait on the Lord. So these evildoers are workers of iniquity, right? Who in other places in Psalm 37, it says, they gnash their teeth at the Lord. They shall be cut off. That doesn't sound good, right? But those who wait on the Lord are going to receive something. They're going to receive a good thing. And what, is it, what are they going to receive? Life. Life is reserved for those who wait on the Lord. Because this waiting on the Lord, really to put it in different terms, would be a patience, a confident trust in God. And this is the fruit, as we know, of authentic faith. A courageous trust in God. A belief that his promises are true. And that the Lord will rescue and save his people. So what are some of the ways that the scripture shows us how we can wait on the Lord? Well, first, we can wait on the Lord by trusting in him. One of the key key themes of Psalm 37 is that we're not to fear the evildoer. Because that's an inclination of our heart that we could have. We could see the evildoer, we could get scared. But it says the evildoer is going to be cut down like grass. Anybody here ever mowed a lawn? remote a lawn or anything like that or whack down some of your tall grass? What, what happens to it? 
it's really dead after that. It kind of goes into the ground and dies. And, and God gives us that picture because we kind of know what that's like. You cut the grass and all we need know is it's gone. It was like this beautiful grass and then you cut it and it's just, I guess it's just down there in the dirt somewhere. It's just gone. And that's what happens to the evildoer. That's kind of how we need to, that needs to be our perspective, not fear, but trusting God. He says that's what will happen. Um, they will be cut down like grass. He also uses this picture of they will wither. They will wither away like a green herb. They will be cut off and receive nothing. While those who wait on the Lord, in comparison, will receive it all. And there's a little hint to what this means, that they will inherit the earth. They will inherit everything God has. Now this can be challenging to not fear the evildoer when we read the news or we look around because those that are standing against God can, can kind of be frightful. They, they, they can appear to be pretty successful in pushing against God's kingdom. But we have to trust God. We have to lean into his promises. And if we step back, and it's always good to sometimes step back and take a look at church history. Church history. What has God done over the generations? And we'll see that God is right. right? I mean, if you look at church history, the, the, this exact thing happens. Evildoers are cut off. They never last that long. And the church is still going on. God is still faithful to all generations, right? Uh, we started this morning. His mercy endures forever. And so, so we, you know, sometimes it's good to step back and get a bigger view of what God's doing through history. Now, secondly, the other way we can wait on the Lord is by focusing upon him. Fixing our eyes upon the work of God and not being captivated or enamored by the work of the evildoer, which is easy to do these days. Right? We studied um, earlier, if you look at Psalm 37 and verses 3 and 4, how we're called to feed on his faithfulness. The righteous feed on his faithfulness. We delight in our desire for Christ and we grow in our desire for Christ. So we commune with God Often. We should commune with God often or frequently or actively. And while we can occasionally, you know, banter here and there kind of about the, the thing that the wicked people are doing out there, like, yes, they're still committing abortions. That's bad. But, but, what's, but what, what, is, what is that for the righteous? For the righteous, we know that our God is in control. We know that our God is standing with his holiness and righteousness against the evildoer and they of course are under his sovereign hand so our lips can more so even proclaim the works of our god because we're not enamored by the works of the evildoer we're enamored by the works of our god so we can always be looking to him seeking him and keeping focused upon him now thirdly the third way we can wait on the lord is by communing with him communing with him and again, earlier in this psalm, um, we saw that we are called, the righteous are called to dwell in the land of our Lord. What does that mean? Dwell in the land of our Lord. Well, that's where we're to hang out. That's kind of one of our hangout spots is with the Lord. We might hang out with uh, those, the, our family. That's who God's given us. Uh, with the righteous. But we hang out with God pri primarily and pri predominantly. We dwell in the land of the Lord. Meaning, 
the law of God is on our hearts. We keep his way. We walk in his way. We forsake our own way. We forsake the world's way. And we, we run to him in times of trouble. He is our strength. We are in the land and we dwell in the land of our Lord. And so communing with him is a very important part of how we can wait on the Lord. And, uh, and we can also wait on the Lord through prayer and in prayer. right? An eager expectation of his hand at work. Seeking God for wisdom, direction, and hope in him and all that he will do. How he will bring it to pass. For he hears our prayers. And he knows and even needs, knows what we need before we pray it. So we wait on him in prayer. So waiting on the Lord. It's, it's one of the most significant ways that God builds our faith. It renews our strength. And waiting on the Lord really takes, really takes confident expectation that God's in control. And so, as, if you ever find yourself waiting on the Lord, you know, God, God, I'm waiting to know what you want me to do next in life. I'm waiting, I'm praying for a decision, and I'm trusting you, but I'm not sure what you're going to do. Then consider this, uh, th- this scripture that's very encouraging of how we can look to God, we can trust in God, we can focus upon him in our waiting, and we can commune with him in our waiting. Well, our text goes on, and, uh, and, it continues, and it continues this theme by encouraging us that waiting on the Lord not only has a positive outcome, but it's a form of really trusting in him, is, is really what it is in the end. Because we know it establishes our faith, we know that God's doing a deeper work when he causes, calls us to wait on him. But, uh, but I, want, I want us to think about this. Psalm 40 actually... Uh, gives us a, a good picture sometimes of what God's doing. Because sometimes in a trial or in a time of affliction or suffering, which waiting on the Lord can feel like, uh, we, we're like, well, God, what are you doing? We, we, we might think, I know he's building faith in me. <laughs> but it's hard at that moment. But I'm going to just read it. Just the first three verses of Psalm 40 are encouraging because I actually think uh, this is helpful because we can feel this way sometimes so how do we respond rightly psalm 40 says i waited patiently for the lord so there it is i'm waiting patiently for the lord he inclined to me and heard my cry he drew me up from the pit of destruction out of the miry bog and set my feet upon a rock making my steps secure he put a new song in my mouth a song of praise to our god Many will see and fear and put their trust in the Lord. And so Psalm 40 is a great psalm to go to if you find yourself waiting on the Lord because I think what this does is it gives us an expectation that God is going to do something and we, and we, we need to anticipate and expect the good work of our God and see what he's going to do next. So let's just remember that waiting on the Lord, it's not passive, It's not wasteful. In fact, it's one of the most sanctifying means of grace that God will do in your life. Okay, so think about that. I think we just really need to let God renew our minds on this aspect of waiting. And even if you find yourself waiting on the Lord, then actually step into it, like actively, expectantly, look forward to the strengthening he's going to do in your life. Well, our, our Psalm 37 goes on. In verse 10 and 11, 
And uh, those go together. So we're going to read those two together. Uh, Verse 10. For yet a little while, and the wicked shall be no more. Indeed, you will look carefully for his place, but it shall be no more. But the meek shall inherit the earth and shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. Now, upon hearing these verses, you might immediately think of the Beatitudes. I mean, I did at least, right? In Matthew 5, 5, right? Because Jesus said there, well, he was quoting Psalm 37, so you should, you should remember it. But he said, blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Uh, so a couple of thoughts on this. What is it to be meek? And why do they get to inherit the earth? What's the connection? What's going on here? Well, our culture often thinks of meekness as weakness, right? Meekness is not the, portrayed as this, as this valiant character trait, right, that people are looking for when they go to hire somebody. I'm looking for a meek man, right? You don't, you don't hear that. Um, because meekness, I think, also has the connotation of being easily manipulated. Be another definition in our culture. But actually, that's not what meekness is at all. Right? We've talked we've talked, I think we talked about last week in the sermon how sometimes words change, right? Didn't we talk about that? How, you know, uh, awful used to mean amazing, right? And a terrible used to mean super scary, right? And I think the word meek has changed too in our culture. So let's see what the Bible is saying with this word meekness. Meekness, biblical meekness is actually humility. And it means one who is submitting to God. Right? Now normally I don't read definitions of words, but Noah Webster's in his 1828 dictionary um, gives a really good definition. And if you know anything about Webster's 1828, includes Bible verses, he's constantly referencing the Bible, so it's, it's pretty good to orient us. Uh, but, 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 but Webster said, meekness is to be gentle or to be not easily provoked or irritated, but rather yielding, giving, given to forbearance even under injuries. Very interesting. See, there's a sense of strength in this, right? Almost like a maturity. Right? One that's able to get hit a little bit and is still standing for some truth. Um, it, it's the man or the woman who, even when is hurt, even when is offended, right? which we've all been offended, is still patient, is still showing self-control, is still showing restraint, is still showing a steadiness and a groundedness because of his faith in the Lord, not himself. Right? So meekness, there's a strength there. Right? Meekness is, is, is a humility, not thinking highly of himself, but his mind is upon things above. He's trusting in God. Webster goes on to say that meekness is being appropriately humble and submissive to the divine will. Right? So not proud, not self-sufficient, or maybe stubborn. Stubborn would almost be like the opposite of meekness, or irritable. You know, somebody maybe gives you some feedback, right? Maybe, right? Gives you some feedback. You're like, 
could do that a little better, brother, and you're just like, ah, don't talk to me. Don't, no, don't tell me anything. The meek person will be like, oh, I needed that. Oh, yes. Yeah, bring it on. I need more feedback, right? right? There's a strength in that, right? Because he knows, because he's submissive to the divine will. He's not proud or self-sufficient or self-reliant. Um, and, per, and then lastly, perhaps my favorite part of Webster's definition, he says, the meek are not apt to complain of divine dispensations. I like that. I like that. The meek are not apt to complain of divine dispensations, right? Or basically God maybe changing, you had a plan for the day. You know, God, we're going to, I don't know, we're going to go to Walmart, then we're going to go to the post office, then we're going to feed the pigs, right? Then we're going to mow our lawn, endless, right? And then like, no, no, the car broke. We're not going anywhere. So how are we going to respond? That seems to be a divine dispensation, right? Well, we're going to be meek. We're going to trust God. So we've talked about the value of humility for the Christian. So important. But meekness is right there with it, don't you think? I mean, there's humility is important, right? Christ portrayed humility. He came in the flesh, the humiliation of Christ. But meekness is right there. So meekness, we see it's not just like a good thing. It's not like it's a bonus if you're meek. No, meekness is essential, really essential to walking righteously through all the things that are going to happen in the Christian life, right? God's going to change the the day for you, right? People are going to offend you. Strange things are going to happen. The question is, how are we going to respond to all of this? So it's a good question or self-reflective question. Do you aspire to be meek? Are you growing in meekness? Good question. We could ask ourselves. Well, to grow in meekness, we've got to understand where it comes from. Meekness doesn't come from us just working really hard or by taking a class or by reading a book. Meekness is sown in us by Christ, right? By the work of Christ. Um, You know that meekness, of course, is a virtue that Christ... Christ exhibited himself. He even said that of himself in Matthew 11, 20, 29, right? He said, take my yoke upon you and learn of me, for I am meek and lowly in heart. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall find rest unto your souls. So Christ professed meekness. He said, I'm meek, right? Kind of like, I'm showing you an example of meekness. And uh, it really, of course, we know, it's his part. It's, it's a part of his active righteousness that's credited to us for our justification. So Christ has given us meekness. We receive that. But also, meekness is a fruit of the Spirit. Right? You, you might see it rendered as gentleness. Right? We see, right, what are, the, what are the fruits of the Spirit? Gentleness is one of them. But this is actually the same word as meekness. Right? Responding with a meekness, with a mildness, with a gentleness. It's a peace, really, based upon a hope in God. So also last week, we talked about hoping in God. Well, if you hope in God, you're not... Hoping in God also relates to being peaceable and gentle, not freaking out, right? It's trusting in God, hoping in God. So we see that... Meekness, or we could even say true God-oriented meekness, is something that only believers can possess, right? Because it's not natural. 
It's not a flesh fruit. It's not a fruit of our flesh. Right? So in our justification, the meekness of Christ is credited to us by faith alone. And then, as he sanctifies us, we actually grow in meekness as the Holy Spirit conforms us to the image of Christ. And so uh, we, we grow in meekness and we become more and more humble in this way. So if you want to grow in meekness, we need to look to Christ. Not to ourselves, not to the grandeur of the world, but we need to walk in the Spirit and not strive for our own wishes. Because the meek will inherit the earth. Why? Because they've been bestowed the meekness of Christ and have been given the Holy Spirit of God that connects us to Christ and conforms to his image. Now, the last thing we need to speak about in this text is this idea of the meek inheriting the earth. Which, again, we talked about is a strange concept to inherit the earth. But we have to remember the entirety of Psalm 37 here, which, as I, meant, as I said, in repeated fashion, it contrasts the, the ruthless ambition of the evildoer who really just seeks the things of the world compared to the righteous. And the righteous commit their way to the Lord and trust in him. I mean, these are polar opposites. And so note that even though the evildoers strive their entire life to gain the whole world, they don't. <laughs> they, right? That, that's what the evildoer wants. He's like, I just I want more of this and I want more of that. I want power. I want stuff. I, this is all I have. I actually remember being an unbeliever. And I thought, well, let's see. All I've got in life is the stuff that I can acquire in this life before I die, and the power and position I can have, and, and maybe the influence I have over people. That's pretty much what I've got. So, and then when I die, it's just all over. So I need to sort, sort of start accumulating stuff now. But of course, what happens to the evildoer? Do they get the whole world? Do they gain all that? Do they get the world? No. As we read in verse 9, they are cut off, it says. Meaning, they're cut off. They lose it all. Meaning, like we read about the grass, they will be no more. I mean, I love verse 10, you know. They will be no more. You look around and you cannot find them. That's just like cutting grass. We cut our grass how many times, boys? I mean, I don't know. In the, just in the summer. 30 times? 40, I don't know, something like that? However many weeks we cut the grass. And, and we don't bag it. I'm going to get real specific here. We don't bag it. And it's just, I'm like, where did all that grass go? It's, I guess it's somewhere in the ground. <laughs> that's what happens to the evildoer. That, I mean, that's the picture God's given us. They're gone. It's just gone. I don't think it disappears. I think it's there somewhere. But it sort of disintegrates, doesn't it? it right? Sort of just gone, like pine needles. But of course, this is the common pursuit of mankind. I'm going to gain everything in the world. I'm going to gain fame. I'm going to gain fortune. I'm going to gain stuff. And this is a temptation we have to be watchful for in our lives, isn't it? Because we, we could fall into this too. So where does, where does the evildoer go wrong here? Well, as you see in verse 11 of our text, the earth is actually not something to be gained. Right? The, the evildoer is striving for the earth striving to get the earth and everything he can in the earth. But actually, it's not something to be gained or sort of conquered by man. 
The earth is for who? For God. It's his earth, right? He's the creator of it all. The earth is not going to be like earned. Like you, you work hard enough, you build some big business, and you get your pie, your piece of the pie of the world. God says, that's not what my creation is for. That's not what, what I've created you for. In fact, the earth is to be inherited by the meek. Again, a reminder of the gospel that we can't, we can't work hard and earn God's righteous favor by our works, but it is to be inherited. And as we know in an inheritance, you just receive it. Why? Because you're a child of the Father. You did nothing. You were just born. You were just there. You were just given it. That's what an inheritance is. You didn't work hard, right? You just were given it. It's given by God. The evildoer and all his striving gets nothing and he's gone. But the meek remain and receive it all. Meekness is perhaps one of the most phenomenal displays of the, of a, the genuine work of Christ in our lives. Because if, if we're meek, we can be meek. It, it, it's also practically displaying that I'm trusting in God. That I'm not sort of just holding on to life tight gripped. I'm trusting, I'm, I'm, I'm holding these things loosely. I can, hold, I can hold the things of, of life loosely because I trust in my God. And in fact, as we, as we saw, meekness is, is actually welcoming of divine providence. Say, God, if this is what you have for me, it's what I want. I want what you have for me, God. The meek are humbled by the work of Christ that saved us and preserves us and perseveres us, yielding to God. So the good news is, this meekness, it's for us. It's for Christians, right? Christ's meekness, it's a part of, again, it's a part of his imputed righteousness that's given to us. So we can go and walk in it. We can live it out by humbly trusting in him and not in ourselves. So in summary, it's a beautiful portion of scripture as we consider this contrast between the evildoer who's cut off and those who wait on the Lord, those who will inherit all of God's goodness, all that he has, not just the earth itself, but of course the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. And uh, as the, uh, uh, the wicked look and strive uh, for their desires, we will be looking to our God and we'll be trusting in him uh, because as, uh, as we trust in him, we recognize our own inadequacies and we recognize there's nothing we can do to gain his favor. But just continue to walk in faith according to the spirit in obedience to his law and his truth as our father. Well, let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for this word tonight and we thank you that you have given us, uh, God, this uh, incredible bearing fruit of the Spirit of God, meekness. Oh Lord, would you, would you quicken within us and help us to grow? We want to grow in meekness. We want to uh, receive well uh, the divine providences that you have in our life. We want to trust in you more. We want to focus on you more. We want to commune with you, God, and we don't want to be shifty, just tossed to and fro 
but stand upon the solid rock that you've given us in Christ, our Savior. Oh God, help us to do this. Help us receive the phenomenal, incredible inheritance uh, you've given to your children. We thank you, God, and we just we, we, we pray that you would be glorified as your sons and your daughters. In Jesus' name, amen.